Hello there, guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am joined by the powerful Millie Manders from Millie Manders and the Shut Up. Now, I say this briefly in the chat, but just for clarity, I actually started listening to Millie only about a week and a half or so before our actual chat. I heard them, I heard some of their singles they had that were out for the upcoming album. I thought it was absolutely excellent, and I checked out some of their older stuff too on YouTube and Spotify and whatnot. And so I made contact with the band and organized a chat with Millie. And the chat itself was actually recorded three days after their latest album got released. Anyway, a couple of quick bullet points of our discussion. Uh, We speak about Millie's music-orientated childhood, as well as why trumpets are amazing, because trumpets are in Millie Manders' music quite a lot, which I really appreciate. I think they're brilliant. Um, We also speak about the positive reception of the album that was only released three days prior to our conversation, how Millie puts lyrics together, our appreciation for Scroobius Pip, people that have disrespected Millie from being a woman in a position of power, and loads of other things too. So it's a really, really good chat. Millie was very honest in this chat, and I really, really appreciate that too. And, you know, guys, just go check out the album. You know, it's really, really cool. It's called Telling Truths, Breaking Ties. It's on Spotify. Uh, Many of the songs are on YouTube with videos and things. Silent Screams is my personal favourite. I think everyone should just check out that song because it is incredible. And then lots of the other songs are really, really good too. You know, Bitter is a little bit more punky. Your Story is a little bit more poppy. There's lots of different elements of that, which we do go into in detail in this chat. But I've included links in the description anyway. Make sure you go check that out. And also, when you check all that stuff out, and when you inevitably love it, make sure you give Millie Manders lots of love on social media. And you can tell them that Mike from Genuine Chit Chat sent you, and that will make everyone incredibly happy. So anyway, guys, there's not a promo today or anything like that, so the full chat is just going to get started, and then right at the end of the chat, I'm going to give a bit more information of what sort of stuff is to come, as well as information about my other podcast as well. So, you know, make sure you check out the show notes as well, because that's got a lot of information of previous things I've been involved with, collaborations and etc., as well as information about last week's show with Goff and other things too. Anyway, guys, enough from me. I will talk to you at the end. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. I am here today with Millie Manders. Millie, it's absolutely wonderful to have you on the show. I've been listening to uh, your music only really for about a couple of weeks now. I basically listened for... Uh, about a day or two and then I was like nope I need to speak with this person I saw that you had an album coming out I was like this is brilliant timing just for me I know for you you've had the delays with the album and obviously lockdown and the, all that jazz but uh, I just I listened to a lot of the music that was coming out and I was like I want to speak with this person so it's absolutely wonderful to have you on the show why don't you uh, elaborate a bit more of who you are and the music and things okay well firstly thank you very much for inviting me to come and have a chat with you it's really nice to be here um elaborate on who I am well, I'm, I'm Millie Manders from Millie Manders and the Shut Up, which is um, a cross-genre punk band that tours around the UK and we've just started to tour around Europe, or we had <laughs> to tour around Europe. Um, one thing you said there was that we had album delays. Well, actually, we didn't delay anything at all. We stuck to the entire release plan, which was um, a total blessing to us, to be oh, perfectly wow. honest. Um, the release plan fitted in really nicely. So, um, yes, I'm Millie Manders. I'm bonkers. Um, I'm like Marmite. And I scream and sing and jump about on stage with my band. <laughs> and you love cats. I, I love cats so much. My cat is <laughs> directly behind me snoozing in her little birdie basket. There she is. She, she knows, see, she knows when I'm talking about her. Can you see that? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Matty. 
Yeah. Uh, those listening, obviously, you can't see Natty Catty, but um, but we both can. So. It's a good reason to go on social media, isn't it? You know, go follow on social media for the chance to get a photo of the famous cat. That's what you want. She's got her own Instagram at Matty Catty underscore. Go follow Matty Catty. She's more. She's far more interesting. Infinitely more interesting. <laughs> she has pink toe beans and I mean, animals are just incredible, and I'm sure we'll be able to speak about that. But let's speak about the music first, because I will get sidetracked about speaking about cute, fluffy things. Uh, one of my cruxes. And um, so what I want to uh, ask, a phrase that I'm sure I haven't coined, I haven't heard anyone say it, but I'm sure I haven't coined this, but it's um, genre fluid. And it's play on words of more so how I would describe certain uh, either individuals who like uh, bands of huge uh, vary, a variety of genres, which I know yourself and myself are one of one each of those people. Um, but your yeah. band itself, one of the things that I admire the most about Millie Manders and the Shut Up is it's almost the thing that is genre fluid where the whole album as an example you can listen to each song and it's almost different genres not only per song but within itself um so i wondered if you could speak about where your musical beginnings almost started and how this sort of mishmash of genre appreciation has sort of culminated for you right well i mean i i grew up in a house that was heavily saturated in lots of different genres from both sides of my mother and my father um my dad was the what what hmv coined as the 30 pound a month dad um which was just somebody that when they got paid they'd spend an average of 30 quid on new releases um and albums and my dad always wanted to find out what was new so he'd go down to it wasn't actually hmv he would go to the local cd store and speak to the guy that ran it and this guy would recommend these new releases so from 1990 onwards i was already listening to cypress hill and prodigy red hot chili peppers um and just tons of really interesting vibrant uh, music and I ended up taking my dad to see Cypress Hill for his 50th birthday oh. and that was Skull and Bones tour um, and that was at Brixton Academy um, my mum was really into um, the old R&B so we had loads of CDs of things like Chuck Berry and Aretha Franklin and James Brown um, and Otis Redding um, but we also had things like The Carpenters and um, a host of like 60s and 70s pop music. My dad loved old school punk, so Ramones and Sex Pistols, Madness, the specials. Um, and then my mum also would like, she'd buy those magazines that were like, you'd get a CD with them every week. Mm. And she invested in the classics. So we would listen to Holst and Mozart and Rachmaninoff. Um instrumentation wise I started playing piano at five tried recorder when I was seven um, and immediately fell in love with clarinet which I started when I was seven um, I took my grade five on clarinet when I was 11 and then went on to saxophone at 12 um, I quit woodwind at 14 because I was a stroppy teenager and <laughs> I would rather be chopping up my clothes and dyeing my hair out of my bedroom window um, smoking cigarettes, which is really bad. Um, I was a red. <laughs> By the time I was 14, I had a total tear away. I'm really sorry, mum. And then at 15, I found my voice. 
I didn't turn back to physical instruments until I was probably in my early 20s. Um, so it was the concentration of my voice from year, from being 15 onwards. And, and that was um, where I suddenly started going, actually, I want to be in a band and I want to front a band and that kind of thing. So, yeah, there you go. There's a, a, a history in two minutes, 30 seconds. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely perfect. There's a snippet right there. Well, um, with, with Millie Manders uh, and The Shut Up, was that the first... Uh, band that you were in the first band that you kind of started or were there certain ones along the way gosh no um, <laughs> <laughs> um when i found my voice at 15 i was in a little band can't even remember what we called ourselves but i wrote my first proper song then i'd been writing songs and poetry pretty much all my life but i wrote my first proper song with a guitarist when i was 15 then at 16, I got into a band that called ourselves Prosthetic Eye, um, which was, for me, that was my first proper band because we actually played gigs mm. and we went out and played gigs around the local area. Um, and actually, I had another band before the one that I'm in now, um, which was called Second Sense. And I never tell anybody that band name. So there you go. Wow. You're the definitely the first podcast I've actually told that band name but we had like 3,000 followers on MySpace and we'd get 300 or so people to a, a London gig we actually had a really really good following but we signed to a very bad record label mm. who was stealing all the money of the record label from their wife um, and transferred all of our music into their personal name which meant that they owned our assets um, illegally so we had to go through five years of legal battles representing ourselves through the courts, which meant that by the time we'd finished that and had our music again, we'd lost all our fan base. So in 2012, I cut everything down and went solo, completely rebranded, started from scratch, started a new Facebook page and all the rest of it, um, and then started my journey again. And it wasn't until 2014 I started to recruit permanent band members and even then it's it's been a massive journey of um, band members coming and going or uh, being asked to go (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but for the last year I felt really happy and secure um, and like I have a team of not just players but writers and Mm. supporters Um, And we support each other and we have this really good network between us. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things because like I've got, I've had several friends of mine on the podcast and my brother and numerous ones have been in bands and things quite a lot. I however have no musical talent at all. I played a little key bit of keyboard when I was younger. My teacher said I had potential. I never practiced, couldn't be bothered and just failed. Uh, well, I didn't fail. I just you know stopped. Um, and I've, I've been a massive appreciator of music. Uh, you know, my dad, uh, he was really, really into music. He liked classical, but he also liked prog rock. And he liked you know, Genesis, Peter Gabriel, Bowie, those sort of things, but also liked uh, dream theater. And I would occasionally get him into music and stuff as well. Mum just likes pop and Motown pretty much. Um, she isn't as into music, but my brother, one of my brothers, he's been in bands since I've known him. Well, I, he's older than me by 17 years so obviously he's a lot older than me and he's always been in bands too my friends have been in bands so I, I have an understanding 
especially when I lived with two of my mates who were in a band together and they'd have the band members over, I, I do have a degree of understanding and very much sympathy for the trials and tribulations that can go with band members where everything seems to be fine and then one thing changes and then it's just this domino effect of this one thing can get sorted and we'll be back on track and it's just 10 of them over the course of ages and when especially when you're either a front person or just one of the people in the band who's really pushing who's doing a lot of the writing organizing a lot of the gigs and stuff i understand how draining it can be i've seen the amount of bands that my friends and my brother have gone through of just having to start again and swipe things on the carpet so i have my utmost sympathies with you there and i want to ask about um with mini manders and the shut up you can hear the change of um the evolution, I'd almost say, of uh, from the first two EPs to the latest album. But one consistent has been uh, trumpets, which is quite an interesting thing that people don't often uh, use, especially in music, which I would class your music as very accessible, but alternative music in that sort of, uh, especially where you've got the more aggressive parts in certain songs. And is there a something that made you choose trumpets or did the band member at the time approach you? Like, it's, it's very interesting to know that trumpets was something considered that works so well, but is very undervalued. I mean, I, I'm a, being a saxophonist, I love brass instruments. I love the sound of brass instruments. I've always been a jazz fan. Hmm. In fact, when I was a clarinetist, um, one of the things that got me into playing saxophone was going, my, my parents taking me to see big band jazz um, and seeing saxophonists and trumpet players there. So the the sound of any brass instrument is a happy vibe to me. It's something that makes me smile. And, you know, I love going to to shows where, and it doesn't matter what genre it is, I love going to shows where brass instruments are involved because when you get a really good brass hook, like it just, I just have a grin on my face, you know. And quite often, like uh, bands like, I don't know if you know Popes of Chili Town or Call Me Malcolm, before I ever learn the lyrics of the songs, I know the tune of those horn hooks and I will be down at the front like, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, you know, like I'm singing the horn hooks back at the band because I love it so much. So that's really integral for me. It's, you know, it's not just people say that we're a ska punk band. We're not really. I mean, we've got some ska influence, but... We're definitely more punk. It just, we happen to have horns and I love them. <laughs> um, actually, I didn't even know if we were going to have trumpet on the album, but um, because we've had trumpet players, but Dom, uh, our saxophonist predominantly, learned trumpet and learned the parts on the trumpet in something like, something silly, like three months and wow. nailed them in the studio. So now he has a trumpet and a saxophone on stage. And funnily enough, um, you mentioned violin before we started um, to record. He can play violin. And one thing that I really want to do with the next release, um, or at least the next release of original songs, whatever that may be, really want him to uh, get a violin in there because I love punk with a bit of strings. Yeah. It's it's incredible. I just think all... I don't think there's any music that can't be not necessarily bettered, but improved in going in an at least equal to direction with so many instruments like, um, like Metallica, are a good example. I'm not necessarily the biggest Metallica fan. I think they're really good. I appreciate what they've done. I've seen them live, etc. But I absolutely adore their S&M album, which is their greatest hits album, but they did it with a symphony orchestra. And it was just yeah. one of those things where 
even even not being the biggest Metallica fan, because I love the sound of big instruments, you know, either a brass band or a strings band or full orchestral accompaniment, it it just adds this depth of sound because although, you know, guitar, bass, drums, vocals, that's all well and good, and obviously that's the core for many, many bands, just one or two extra uh, flares of difference, that's something that really sticks out. And the way I found your band, actually, was it's a really odd uh, way. Uh, my girlfriend, Megan... Uh, she doesn't like alternative music in, as much as I do. She uh, still has a harder time with unclean vocals, you know, or for listeners who aren't used to that term, shouty, <laughs> as my mum calls it, shouty music. Um, and it's it's one of those things where I'm so, she's getting more and more into it slowly over time, but I'm, she's, she, I'm trying to show her bands that are kind of uh, genre fluid in a lot of ways, you know, the bands that kind of toe the line of heaviness and things like that. She was on Facebook randomly, Facebook stalking someone or something like that. Just, you know, occasionally you go on someone's profile, then you go on someone else's profile. And she went through a string of things and it was someone who'd commented on something or other and they mentioned Millie Mans and the Shut Up. And by chance, Megan just clicked on that and went on it. And she heard... It was either Silent Screams or Bitter. I can't remember which one. Or it might have been Bacchus. It was one of those three. Um, I have a feeling it was Silent Screams or uh, Bitter. But she heard that and immediately she went, I think, Mike, you'd like this because uh, I really like it and I think you would too. And she showed it to me and I heard it and within seconds. I was like, yes. And it's one of those things where I think because you have not only the different genres within it, but also I think the trumpets and just almost alternative instruments. I think that's one thing that as soon as I heard your band, that was an immediate switch of, oh, they're doing something different, which it might shouldn't really be that different because it's so brilliant. But the fact that you would you went to do that, I just I want to applaud you on the fact of sounding different enough by culminating and combining so many different aspects of things together. And it, it just it struck me as soon as I heard the band, if I'm honest. Thank you. That's that's really cool of you. Um, it's something that I think as a band, we pride ourselves on um, in that all of us have such different backgrounds that we want to celebrate that. And we don't... The, um, the preconceived idea of the record industry is that you have to be pigeonholed and that in order to be successful... You need to um, shave down your influences in order to create something that fits a niche and can then be commercialized. But actually, I think that, and I'm not saying this is going to happen with us because, you know, it's one in a million, that if you think of any band that has been truly successful, they have done things their own way. They have created something unique. They've done something that, not completely unique because music just isn't anymore, but they have created their own crest of a wave, you know, um, by being true to what they want and true to what they love. And so I personally think that whether you make it or not, the best thing you can do is stick to what you love, write music because you love it and not because it's going to fit into a little box that someone's going to think is commercial. And yeah, we, we're really proud of the fact that we have stayed true to that value and we've got in everybody's influences into the into the album. So everybody has a track that they really love. Um, I'd probably say that every band member has probably got a track that they don't love as much. <laughs> but that's that's part of being in a band that is also a democracy, mm. you know. So yeah. I'm, I'm really pleased that you you've pointed that out and that you feel the same way in that we we do have a huge amount of genre influence and that's why we like to call it cross-genre punk. 
Mm, yeah, exactly. I mean, listening to the whole album, I mean, there's, um, I think, uh, Poor Man's Show, that's got a sort of a reggaeton sound to it, in, obviously, especially the guitar. But then you've got, you know, you've got Bitter, which is a lot more that sort of punky sound, the, the punchiness. But then you've got the hook of the chorus, of course. And then um, I think your story, that's a more... Um, I, I always hesitate to say poppy because I never... I have a... It's a hundred percent punk. It just happens to have a good saxophone on it. Yeah, but yeah. Your story is like full on pop punk. <laughs> exactly. So it's. I, I always just hesitate to say pop because it's. It, I. It sounds like a douchey thing to say, but whenever I hear the word pop music, I'm always like, because eh, it's like pop just means popular. So it's like, oh, it's popular music. But it's like, but doesn't pop music now isn't the same as what it was a decade ago or even you know so. The pop as a genre is always one of those weird ones I'm always hesitant to use. Um, but the album is just, it's so diverse. And I want to ask, is there a is there a track that you most enjoyed writing and is there a track that you're most excited to perform live or that you may have already done so? Mm, I'm not sure that there's a track that I'm not... Ne- I think Panic I'm actually really excited about performing mm. live because, well, once we're allowed crowds again, because I think that's sort of track i can see a whole crowd jumping to like anthemic yes um i hope it would be nice um i i've got a very personal connection to poor man's show Mm. that's a really important track to me but funnily enough one of the least popular amongst the band in general Mm. um but really it's just it's i'm very emotionally attached to the socioeconomic crises hmm. that we're experiencing. So Paul Mouse show is really important. Glitter Mix is a very personal track for me. But I, to be honest, I just love performing. I really love going out there. I love seeing people connect to the songs. I love uh, receiving messages from people who have connected to the songs who can't wait to see them live. Um, and you know, it's only four days in since we've released this album and already the response has been unreal. And I, is there a, I don't think there is a track yet that someone hasn't said, this is probably my favourite track, which is just mental. <laughs> mental to think that out of all 10 tracks, there's somebody that thinks each one of them is their favourite track. Like I never, ever in a million fucking years thought somebody that that was going to happen. You know, I was, yeah. I mean, I was hoping that it was going to be a nice response, but I've gone off on the tangent a bit here. Like I love performing. I can't wait to perform all of them. And I'm just so made up by the insane response that we've had. I literally cannot believe it. Well, I think it's well deserved. I mean, not only the music videos you've released and the way you've 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 done it, sort of the, the cleverly done. So you know, you recorded the album uh, last year. I think it was December twenty nineteen. I think I recall you saying, yeah. Um, so obviously, you had this planned, as you say. You know, you released a single and with a video, and you know, gave it time to resonate with people and people. And then when it was like the time which people started getting. Because when you release one track at a time, it doesn't have the longevity of an album, obviously, it, because it's just the one track. So you release that, and then after a period of time, it starts to wane in just the... It's not at the forefront of people's minds anymore. And then you release the next one, and you keep building that, and it, it, it's no snowballs eventually. And then when you've got the album out, each track has got its own base of people who enjoy it loads, and then they all culminate together, which is brilliant. And 
it's funny you say with um, Glittermix because of the album tracks, I'd say the singles you have released uh, thus far are, I would probably argue, are not necessarily the strongest, but my personal favourites, I'd say. I think Silent Screams is probably, and I'm not just saying this, it's probably one of the best songs I've heard all year. I think oh. that it is genuinely, as soon as I heard Silent Screams, Megan's actually, <laughs> I, I, I've got a tendency to overplay Silent Screams, and I then... I've tried to not play it as much because I keep, I know I'm playing it too much at her, but then I've been singing it as well. And also I'm, I'm a terrible singer, which doesn't help matters. So I was singing it earlier and then Megan sang it back and was but said the melody, but was saying different lyrics, saying, you, you can't keep singing this at me in the, the, in the melody it was doing. It was brilliant. I just think the songs themselves have got enough... Um, the lyrical importance. So you've got songs like Paul Man Show and things, which obviously are a lot more on the political side, but you have songs like Silent Screams, which are, uh, from what I can tell, very much about sort of mental health and, you know, not only introspection, but also how one interacts with other people when in times of, for lack of a better word, maybe darkness or disarray. So I feel it's very important and clever in the way that you've released an album which has lyrics people can connect to in an emotional sense and it can resonate with them in that way while also uh other songs giving a political message and spreading good ideas and things so i just think that that those ideas when you put them on paper did you do you write like do you does do lyrics hit you out of like random times of the day or do you sit down and say i need to write um, so both really mm. and show um, I actually specifically took three or four different news stories that had really pissed me off and wrote notes about them um, like I was taking notes for a dissertation or something um, I wrote the things the specific quotes that had really struck me and struck a chord um, some specific facts and statistics that were going on in the world. Um, and I wrote my lyrics around those facts and figures because I was so angry, so violently, horrendously angry that these things were happening, that I felt it was necessary to get some of that down and perpetuate that. Uh, to immortalise that and keep reminding people that the powers that be are not gods, they are the devil. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and they are making things so much worse. So that was that. Um, Silent Screams was actually a dream, um, or at least the, the first verse was, I was in a, a really horrendous place. And actually at the beginning of the year, I had a mental breakdown. Um, but this was sort of towards the end of last, oof, when did I write this? So when we first started writing the album, I'd literally just written it. So we're talking August last year. Hmm. Um, I was, my breakdown took a good six to eight months to finally fruition. Hmm. <laughs> but I was suicidal thoughts for a very long time. Um, and I had a dream whereby I was standing on a building and I only had one shot to jump off it. And I was calculating which direction to throw my body um, to be the most effective in order to ensure that my neck broke in a certain way so that I definitely died rather than became a vegetable mm. and apparently. Mm. 
because I didn't want to, even in my dream, I didn't want to even have a small percentage of a chance that I would survive the drop. Mm. So that opening line, uh, when I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking which way is best to throw myself off buildings to land nicely on my head, that was a, a literal feeling that I was dealing with on a daily basis. So that whole song got written that that morning. Mm. Probably five or six in the morning and, and penned that whole thing because that was very real, very, very real <laughs> at that moment. Um, your story, uh, I had the chorus in my head for like a month. It was just in my head and I was singing it as I was working and things, but I wasn't writing it down. It was just there and I knew it was going to stay there. Um, and I knew how the breakdown was going to work. And I knew like the da, 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 was in my head. Like I knew the whole song, the whole structure was there, but I didn't quite have the verse lyrics. I kind of had the, the three, four bit, the triplet bit in the middle. So I just got a friend to come into a, a pod with me and I got him to um, play really simple guitar for me and I recorded it and recorded all of the melodies and stuff. And then later that day, I just penned all of the lyrics for it. Um, so I, I don't really have a particular creative structure or preference for writing. For me, it's just like if, I, if I'm going to get creative, I know that it's there and I just go with it. Like the flow. That, yeah, if it's going to come, it's going to come and I'm just going to take that moment and, and go with it. So, and, and on the songwriting front, I want to ask uh, one thing. Um, so I think, I think Glittermix is probably my favorite track apart from uh, the singles you released. I think that is an incredible track. Um, but one of, I say my favorite moment on the whole album, um, although I love so many of your choruses and so many lyrics of the verses, I think my, if if I could only, if I was like on my deathbed and you were like, well, you have to listen to Millie Manders, but you can only listen to 15 or 20 seconds of it, what part would you listen to? Which would be a very bizarre situation to be in. Uh, but if that was the case, <laughs> um, if that was the case, it would actually be the end of Broken Record, the sort of a cappella bit that you do in itself, just the where it's got the so many different voices of it. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, interesting. I, it's it's very it's because it's it's surprise. It was a surprise in the album. It just came, it comes out of it doesn't come out of nowhere because the song very organically goes to it. There's one of the things that there's so many parts in the album that are like one offs in a sense, and I I really yeah. really like that. And I just think the end of Broken Record. I I really like the song. I was like, oh, that's a really cool song. And then the end, and I was like. I don't know what it is, but it's so about the ending. I mean, how how was that to record out of interest? Because how many vocal tracks do you think there were? Like, I'm not sure how how many. If you know off the top of your head, it sounded like there were probably three or four. But uh, there was probably more like six or seven. Mm. Triple tracked all of the main vocal and then did all of the harmonies around that. Mm. Um, it's funny. Uh, Broken records. Another one that I just had in my head for days and so <laughs> poor James <laughs> my guitarist I ha uh, I play guitar very badly <laughs> so <laughs> I fiddled around and found the chords that I knew the song was in um and sang a version of broken record that was literally like a broken record in my head <laughs> um 
and I think it was on Garage Band or something horrendous. And I did all of these vocal layers on there, and I was like, you know, I kind of want this to happen, and I want this to happen in the middle, and I want the, it to end with all of these like a cappella vocals and stuff. But here you go, here's this file. Can you just sort out <laughs> structure for me? It <laughs> 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 was like, I don't know, I think four or five verses. Um, and it wasn't like I was like, okay, so the breakdown's going to be here and this is how we're going to split the verses up or anything. I kind of had a rough idea. So he got a rough idea of what I wanted structure-wise, but otherwise I was like, just build around this. <laughs> this is the song. <laughs> just chuck it at him. Yeah. And I also found with... Um... A couple of other tracks. One is one of my favourite things when I listen to uh, music, especially with a strong vocalist such as yourself. Is I I love it when you have more than one vocal track. And I am a bit of a musical scrub, so apologies if I'm using the wrong terminology. But am I? Is it? I think it's canon. Is is one of the things where one starts and as it finishes the bar, then another track, another thing comes in and it kind of does that. And then there's also see unison as all at the same time. But I think it's I'm pretty certain it's silent screams. It happens, and I think your story or bitter apologies i can't remember which one but the last chorus the like reprise comes in with an yes. extra vocal track or two yes that's right it's not canon um it i guess it's like having two lead vocals at the same time and hmm. um, whereby if it, it's like um if we think about zebrahead let's go with zebrahead if, do you know that band yes yeah yeah so zebrahead have two, two lead vocalists one that sings and the other one that raps and sometimes one of them is singing and the other one is rapping in unison um and i guess i took that idea um but both vocals on the track are me Hmm. Uh, because there were two messages i wanted to highlight um and i quite frankly i thought it would sound really cool well you're right i did it (laughs) (laughs) Gold star. I'm pretty sure that that's where the thought began and ended. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> that, but that's good enough. I mean, not every not every question has to have uh, some sort of you know. Sometimes it's just I just put it in there because I thought it sounded cool. Like there's plenty of good reasons people have done that sort of thing in music and movies and God knows what. Um, but I want to ask. I noticed in uh, one of your videos, um, I believe it's for Teddy, um, that you're wearing a Scroobius pip top. Yes, yes, I am. Yes, and I just want to highlight, and I think you're wearing a cap of Scroobius Pip on... It's either another video or it's a photo shoot. It's the one where it just has Pip on the uh, underneath of the flat cap. I don't think I've worn my Pip cap in a music video. Yeah, um, I think it was a photo. Cap a lot. Mm. I just want to highlight saying Scroobius Pip's amazing, um, both in music, but also he's one of the reasons that I actually started podcasting. His podcasts are brilliant. I love how frank he is and just how like i don't know there's just something very comforting about pip when he's Mm. doing a podcast you do feel like he's your best mate yeah um and he gets the best out of every interview that he has um in that way like he everybody that speaks to him seems to be like his best mate yeah and i love that um the first podcast I ever listened to was with a girl called Jordan. Jordan, Jordan. Oh, is that the uh uh of trans trans That's individual? Yeah, dark dark black friend or dark tall friend, I think is their pseudonym. 
she's just incredible and I loved listening to the journey of Jordan from being a male performer into like blossoming into the female performer and the journey that she had to go through and uh, all of that uncertainty and confusion and certainly the audience not necessarily being supportive and the song that was played at the end of it I just thought it was incredible yeah Pip's very clever I love everything about Pip I loved what he did with Kerrang! No, it was Radio X and I love his podcast and I think his merchandise is clever Hmm. Uh, I think everything that he does is just incredibly well thought out maybe it's not Pip if you're listening and it's not well thought out kudos (laughs) because you clever (laughs) (laughs) well it's like a lot of his music videos they're one shots and one shots are one of my favorite things in the whole world like if i see an action movie and as a one shot in the whole action movie could be complete dog shit but if it's it's like the raid 2 or i think daredevil series 2 old boy loads of classics it's just a one shot scene they're the best I could go on about one shots all day. I'm not going to, but I could, just so you know. Um, and I was, I was going to ask as well. With um, while we're on the subject uh, of sort of when we were kind of speaking about lyrical meanings and things like that, and obviously Pitt being a front person and all that sort of jazz as well. Have you had? Uh, we spoke up very touched upon it before recording, and we wanted to save it for this. So I thought I'd ask now, as obviously as a woman, there is immediately prejudices that come across with that as well. But also being the front person of a band adds to that as well. Um, and then you've got other things such as, I know you have tattoos, as do I. Tattoos, still there's still stigma around them for some fucking mental, unknown, stupid reason of, sorry, your skin needs to be blank. And if you colour it in any way or have art on it, then you're a fucking terrible person. It's not, I don't, <laughs> it's not as much now. I am over-exaggerating, obviously. But, you know, uh, generally, it's more so the older generation who, f- who feel that way. But have you had many individuals or groups of people dismiss you uh, due to you being a woman, being a powerful woman in as a front person of a band, tattoos, any sort of... Because as you've quoted to yourself being in previous uh, podcasts and things, opinionated, which yeah. just means interesting, in my opinion. So I'm interested to know what if you've been in some of those situations and how you potentially handled them, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Lord alive, I mean... How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have to be every situation. Like, <laughs> I've, I mean, my CV is probably about four pages long, and a lot of those jobs would have been in management. So, the things I've come up against, let's see, men wanting a refund in a retailer and me explaining to them why they can't necessarily have that refund and being asked to see the manager. And when I've explained that I am the manager, it's, well, I want to see your manager. Well, no, they, you can't because I'm, I'm the senior manager here. I, I'm, I'm, I run the store. Don't be stupid. Get me your manager. Ooh. Don't be stupid. Get me your manager. Literally, that's you know, that wasn't in a unique situation. That was a regular occurrence that, uh, I guess a woman that looks like me or a woman in general, I, you know, I, I would have to guess as to what was going through their tiny, tiny mind at that point. Um, but as far as they were concerned, I could just 
could not possibly be the senior ranking manager at that point. So that's just one experience. Um, As a a front woman of a punk band, my tour manager stood in a a crowd once and told me afterwards that um, a guy had brought his friend to come and watch the band. And before we got on, or as we came on, uh, the friend turned around and said, oh, God, not a wo- another woman that thinks she can sing in a punk band. Oh, for Christ's sake. By the end of it, apparently he was very complimentary. But it was the assumption that a woman would not be able to hold their own as a front person of a punk band. Um, but it's not just that. It's also being a, a woman who is in a touring band it becomes very difficult to have a relationship. Um, I've been very single for nearly two years. Um, the last person I dated told me that I should be single at this point in my life. I see. Um, and what they were insinuating was that a man would never wait around for, for a woman to be touring around the country. Right. Um, and that's a fairly common thing um, that And I don't blame men for that. Um, I don't blame anybody for that. Women are taught to be people that should wait around for their man and be patient and be there and be subservient and be the homemaker. And men are taught that women should do that for them. And so as a woman in music um, and as a very strong independent woman in music, uh, it doubles down on the problems that I have finding uh, any kind of relationship. And that's not to say that I'm difficult in a relationship. Actually, I'm very multifaceted and I'm a very good, uh, you know, I'm going to blow my own trumpet here. I'm really sorry, Mike. Go ahead. I am a good businesswoman. I know that I am. And I know that I run my business with an iron fist. I know I expect a certain level of uh, commitment and high work ethic from the people that are in my team. And that's not just my band, that's uh, anybody that I work with. And they know that. But as a, a person in a relationship, I'm also a hopeless romantic, soft as fuck. And um, completely like if I if you if you can win me over then you have me literally, that's that's it, you know, I'm, I'm 100% there. So uh, being a woman is just really fucking tough. <laughs> like, <laughs> there, there isn't really any other way of, of putting it. Uh, every part of my life is tough and made harder because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not necessarily a complaint either. It just is. Yeah, it's one of those sort of, unfortunately, shitty things. I mean, it's not like, oh, it's just one of those things we can't fix. Obviously, taking lengths to, you know, explain to fuckwits who for some reason still believe in in specific, you know, men are better than women or that women belong in the kitchen or any of that. Oh, I had one the other day, um, and I won't say who it is because if they end up listening to it, I don't want them to realise that I'm talking about them. But I actually had someone turn around, a, a guy turn around to me the other day and categorically tell me that first and foremost, I can't tell him what it's like to be a woman because that's discounting half of the um, human species from their opinion. And that they absolutely do not believe that women are considered arrogant if they are opinionated. They're not considered bossy. 
and that all of those age-old um, stereotypes no longer exist anymore because we've obviously evolved past that already. And I'm just looking at this person like, <laughs> I, I want to give you a bust lip right now. I want to high kick <laughs> you in the face and I'm going to try really hard to keep my cool because actually I know that you're not a horrible person. You're just completely deluded. <laughs> well, I know like from from what I have uh, observed, shall we say, I've noticed a lot of the time that it's not not in every example, but I've noticed quite the a quite a common thing for a male to call a female ex is crazy. Um, now I'm not, I'm, yes. And it's like I'm not saying that there aren't crazy women out there because there's crazy people of both uh, genders out there, but it is one of those things I've noticed a lot in not only media but also just general stuff. It is immediately it's like you know, oh, she was crazy, she was a crazy bitch, that sort of thing. And then you find out, oh, no, he was, like, cheating on her and she found out, and therefore she's crazy because she, you know, screamed at him when she found out. It's like, there's all these weird... It's not even just that, like... No. You guys that cheat on their their women Mm -hmm. and tell the girl that they've cheated on them and do the whole gaslighting, baby, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again, and... Um, it's because I felt trapped. So what they're saying is, I won't do it again, but just so you know, it was your fault that I did it. And then, of course, these poor women, and I'm I'm included in this because I was in a gaslight relationship like that that cheated on me. You're then consumed with jealousy because you think it's your fault that they've done it, but you're scared that they're going to do it again. And so you're constantly in this freaking battle like, so you do, you become crazy. It's there's no two ways about it. You go nuts in your own head. You're nuts, and so obviously you start to make some weird fucking decisions because you have no idea what reality is anymore, and the reality that you're being fed is warped, hundred percent warped. So yeah, women women do go crazy, and it's not actually their fault. Yes, there are some psychotic women, but there's lots of psychos. Just there's a small percentage of people that just are psychos. Let's get that out of the way. But when we're talking about that average, oh yeah, my ex is crazy. Mm, do I believe you? Probably not. <laughs> ex, I would quite like to speak to the ex and find out why you're calling her crazy. Mm, it, it is one of those things as well, like bouncing off that point. I, I won't dwell on cheating exes too much, but there is uh, a point that you sort of made there, which which is you start to question your insanity in the sense of because what happens and what a lot of people don't understand with the ramifications of, of cheating on someone as well is that if if someone cheats on someone and then the other person has their suspicions and then the person who cheated lies to them for weeks, months, years, the problem that a lot of people don't understand is that once, not if, when the truth eventually comes out in one facet or another, then what happens is it it unravels everything you thought you knew for however long it's been. If it's been a year since they cheated, it's like, okay, well, that means that they have been lying to me and creating a false pretense for literally the last year. Yeah. And and you think you've got that and you pick up on it and you've got these things, you confront them about it and you say, I think you're doing this and and they convince you that you're not and you all of your thoughts and your intuitions and everything, all that sort of, you know, that weird voice in your head that's telling you, that weird... You're trying to dismiss it all because you're trying to trust this person. It's your gut instinct going, they are a lying twat. Mm -hmm. But you're going, but they've told me that they're not. So my gut must be lying to me. 
So I'm going to believe them because I want to believe them and I want to be in a loving relationship and I want them to be telling the truth. And so you sideline those instincts that are screaming at you to say that it's wrong. And then obviously if you've gone through like a say, let's say it's a year, let's say for argument's sake, it's a year that's gone past and they haven't told you about this cheating experience and then they do. You're then going to need to process that information. You're then probably going to have hundreds of questions that don't come up instantly, but they come up over time. So you're going to start remembering things that they've said and you're going to be like, I'm really sorry, but I actually, you know, I need to process this. So I need to ask this question now. And they're going to get pissed off because you're asking all of these questions. But it's like you've got to process each incident when they lied to you. Mm-hmm. And so each time those questions are going to come up and it's not going to be instant. It's not going to be in that first conversation when they finally let it all out that they're a lying cunt. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be over a period of time where you're like, hang on, what about then? <laughs> you know? mm. And so all of that is uh, part of that label of crazy because you need to process it because, you know, had they been honest, there wouldn't be 800,003 questions to go through. Yeah, it's, it's one of those bizarre things with people that, I, I mean, trust is just one of those things. Trust is like the most important part of uh, any type of relationship, be it honesty, yeah, honesty and trust. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like because the moment you can't trust the other individual and you can't and you can't trust they're being honest with you, then it means that their word means nothing. And I, I'm one of those things, you know. It's, it's quite an old stereotypical uh, phrase, but it's you know, a man is nothing without his word. You know, a man's values of his word. If I if I say to someone, me as an individual, that I promise them, and I don't often make a promise because I'm one of those people that if I say I promise to you, I will do this. You know, I will break my back trying to achieve that promise. I don't, I don't do like a stupid movies where it's like you know, I promise I won't die because when you watch a film and someone says that, you're like, oh for fuck's sake. But you know, apart from stupid things like that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. See you later, mate. Um, but it's one of those things that I found that with linking in with uh, the trust aspect of it, being being in a band is is one of those things that how have you. With being in a band, obviously band relationships are different to a lot of other friendships and a lot of other types of relationships because they're this weird mix of sort of kind of work, but it's a passion. So it's like passion work, like labor of love, while also you should be friends with them. But there's also, you know, many aspects of it. I just wondered if you could uh, talk about sort of almost band, the relationship of being in a band as as one. It's quite an interesting thing that I find. I mean it's going to be different from different bands. I, I would have loved to have had a band that I was in from high school, like the skints and, Mm. you know, that carried right the way through to now. And that we were all best buddies and all the rest of it. Um, as I said before, I've had many lineup changes Mm -hmm. and some of those lineup changes have, been for reasons that have caused me great anxiety, Mm. um, PTSD, um, and massive trust issues. I'm grateful that I currently have a lineup who I trust, who support me, who have 
been there when I had my breakdown, who continue to support me and make sure that I am okay. But I have not been lucky with some of my band members, one in particular, that broke trust in ways that, for, for me, are still unspeakable. Um, yeah, a uh, heavy subject, I guess. Um, you don't have to delve any further into that if you don't feel comfortable. I don't want to press any buttons that you don't want to... Well, it's that I don't... I, I never... Like, people ask me a lot about my lyrics and things. I don't do outing people in public. Oh, no, I wouldn't want you to, no. Um, so, yeah, trust is ridiculously important to me. And those that break my trust do not last anywhere near me. And that's friends, relationships, band members. Um, it's incredibly vital to me to have a team around me that I can trust who will support each other, who will support mm. me in the journey that we are on. Um, so, yeah, there you go. And I want to ask, linking still uh, with the band of things, something that's quite uh, what I quite appreciate of uh, Mini Mandis and the Shut Up, especially seeing on Spotify and that sort of jazz, is a lot of the artwork um, that you use. Uh, do you do you draw those things? Do you get them commissioned? Is there? I'm just interested where the sort of artwork kind of comes from. Uh, the concept of the art for the album, George kind of came up with that. We were all discussing kind of ideas and elements, and she kind of sketched uh, that idea, but. All of the artwork that I've ever had done since right at the beginning of being solo as Millie Manders has all been done by one guy, Dan Harris. He's a comic book artist. He uh, has won a BAFTA award for Channel 4 for his artwork. His mm. is called Lou Scannon, which won an Eagle Award, um, which I'm a character in. Um, but I found him, or rather I was introduced to him on Twitter in probably 2013. And we just became really fast friends. Um, and he's still a really good friend of mine. And he's absolutely brilliant. He's a fantastic artist. He's a fantastic comic book writer. He has a great Patreon, which I think is Pencil Pirates, I think. Um, but he's got lots of different projects and he's he's absolutely amazing. Um, and it doesn't matter what I want from him. You'll see that all of the artwork for the different EPs are very, very different because mm. he's so good at taking what I want and the description of what I'm looking for and making that a reality and really honing in on the importance of particular aspects I'm looking for. He's awesome. Mm, and imagery. Mm. Well, I'll make a short. I'll um, I'll look about. I'll look him up after uh, our chat and things when I uh, release the episode, and I'll include a link in the show notes to his uh, site or Patreon or things. And I want to ask as well. Uh, still, sort of keeping in line with, well, with everything we've been uh, speaking about. Essentially, um, I had the question, and it's just disappeared out of my head the second I was about to say it. So that makes me look like a pleb, doesn't it? Is I had it really spot on, <laughs> ready to go, and I have completely uh, lost it. So there we go. Lost it. Um, regarding like with, with the band and all that sort of jazz, let, let's speak about you are the band's obviously manager and whatnot. Do you do all the sort of social media and that sort of jazz as well? Yeah, that's all. That's all me. Yeah. So I would say that uh, because I, I do everything myself with the podcast, I write every 
social media posts, do all the artwork and everything myself and editing and obviously being the host, which is the main thing I love doing is speaking with people like yourself. And then it's all the other shit. <laughs> social media is one of those things. It's one of my least favorite things to do in the world because it's like, I want to, I want to get my show out there. I want, you know, to highlight people such as yourself or anyone else uh, who I collaborate with and have on the show. And I, I want to push them and put them in the spotlight and any of my audience to see them who maybe haven't listened to the episode or anything like that. But do you find that promoting and stuff is as much of a bane to your life as it is to mine? Like, <laughs> it sounds so lame, but it's like, I love speaking with people and doing the core thing but when it comes to social media especially that's the part that I'm always dragging my heels about no not for me um I think the only thing that drags me is that because I have two jobs as well mm. it's finding the time to do it really well and I think I could do it so much better and it just annoys me that I don't have the time to really put into it and make like I have so many cool ideas for content but I don't have the time to make that a reality. Um, no, I, I've i been into social media for many years. In fact, longer than I've been trying to be a singer. Mm. So when I was at college, this is pre-MySpace days. So I'm showing now. Thankfully, I don't have wrinkles for it. Um, but I was actually on a site called iSound. Um, and it was mainly American people. And I don't even remember how I found it, but I ended up on these forums and chatting to people on Iceland and we were swapping music and all the rest of it. And I'm talking like, there wasn't any pictures on this website. You had two panels, people that you were talking to, and then you could flip them over into the other thing to save them into different groups. And that was pretty much it, but you'd be swapping music and stuff. And then we all kind of followed each other onto MySpace and we followed each other onto Facebook. So I've been learning about social media and learning about how to grow audiences and learning about um, community and value and friendship and the value of that for 21 years. I've been on social media for 21 years. Um, so I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy that aspect of it. I understand that there's lots of stuff that's toxic about it, but I've I've learned to be able to distance myself from that. I've learned that social media is more like video games. Like each each social media platform has its own level ups and mm. different unlock depending on where you're at and how many followers you have and all of that kind of stuff. So I find that really interesting. I find find algorithms really interesting. They piss me off. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> especially the Facebook algorithms that are mm. actually trying to shut down any creativity. I want to punch that guy in the face. Seriously. He needs to look like a sack of meat right now. Anyway. Um, yeah. I, I, <laughs> there's great value to be had. And, you know, if it wasn't for social media, I wouldn't have such an awesome relationship with so many of our followers. I've met some of my best friends through being in a band and, and meeting people on social media and then meeting them at a gig. You know, there's so much value to be had through that, but I would do it so much better if I had more time. The problem with social media for me is that it takes a lot of time to do it and to get it right. And then of course, the added thing of it taking away time from creativity. So 
you know, I, I wouldn't be against having somebody help me with social media, but I'd probably let them do all of the gig posts, merch posts, that kind of thing, and just direct what I want to see. And then the rest of the posts, like the personal stuff, the behind the scenes stuff, the general chatting to people, I would probably keep all of that. Yeah. So, no, it's not the bane of my life. In fact, actually, it's it's added a lot of value to the band and the community of the band and i would never want to see that go away that's a very optimistic and very very nice uh, perspective on it i mean i with social media me, being the bane of my life is pr- more in line with because i have a uh a, a job that earns money me doing podcasting doesn't earn me any money it's just for funsies and it actually costs money to be fair but it is one of those passion projects which maybe in the many years in the future and a lot of luck uh maybe I'll be able to make some money off this and very unlikely, but fingers crossed, I hope make enough money off it one day to then have it as a job or even at least go part-time in one of my other things. Cause I, in a similar sense with you, uh, obviously the way a band works and the way a podcast works are, they have parallels, but they are different in a, in a lot of obviously way. The key things are that obviously I release content and that is relatively it's just the content release because music has the whole live element to it as well and they are different kettles of fish it makes any money though i don't earn anything from the band yeah because the merch sales i presume you just pump them into like a band fund for to fund the next rotates so all of the money that we earn goes straight back into the band account to fund the next release to fund the next tour to fund the next run of merchandise whatever it is i think um the misconception still is that we're in a golden era of the music industry and that's just (laughs) not the case we've made some amazing money this year and especially considering we've been locked down but every single penny that we have made has gone into PRing the album making new music videos um, looking at the next limited edition merchandise run like whatever it is nothing has gone to the band i'm planning on paying my band members for each show um going forward but they've never been paid before um and unless i can keep the money coming in from merch sales album sales streaming I don't know how I will pay them because we've missed so many tours this year. So Mm. I totally get it. But you know what keeps us getting money? Social media. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, with with your, uh, there's a lot more avenues uh, for monetization. With myself, if I, I've said before, like I've said to uh, Megan, it'd be like, I mean, I don't, I don't do the lottery, but it's you know, one of those hypotheticals. It's like, if I just won the lottery tomorrow, I mean, I'd probably give lots of my friends and family who are struggling, give them some money to keep them afloat and things. But then the rest would just be, I would buy property, live off that income, and then I would just travel around England and the world doing my podcast because it's like my passion. And social media then would be, it'd be something that would be something to do as as fun, less than like necessity. Because at the moment where... um obviously i'm sure you find it as well with your band to a degree of there's almost like sections of in air quotes fame you know of how many people you've got following you and things and how much uh, of an audience you have and it's almost tiered almost but there's there's never a point where you never need to post on social media but when you get to a certain level of fame as long as you keep releasing content and things then 
word of mouth and the the impact you have just on people talking about you on social media is almost enough just to propel yourself forward without the need of constant posting. Whereas in the sort of earlier stages of um, trying to bit, still building up audiences, still building up things, and obviously during lockdown and things is even more integral, is that sort of, the, it's the big push, I always say, for the first few thousand uh, true, like in a podcast it would be subscribers, in a band it would be, you know, regular listeners and things. And it's that, you know, because I'm in that early stages, well, I've been doing this for over three years now, but still trying to get more audience and things. I'm making sure, okay, I have to post on social media X amount of times a week. I have to post the new episode when I do my other podcast as well. And da, da, da. And that's, it's the begrudging of feeling like I have to, even though the goals I've set myself, it, that's, I think where the, my own <laughs> disdain for myself comes from with social media. As well, because I know that, you know, algorithmically if you want to keep your audience being able to see you you want to post on instagram at least once every three days on facebook really you should be posting every day if you can um on twitter once to three times a day because of the way the news feeds work and knowing that you should be doing all of that um, and finding the time to do it and also keeping passionate about it is difficult. It really is difficult. I, I, I totally, 100% understand all of what you've just said. And I, I feel that, um, especially when you're in a situation where you're doing so much other stuff, just put food on your table and make sure that you've got a roof over your head. You then do end up begrudging this other stuff that you need to do that you're not getting paid for. Um, because it becomes a ball ache. Mm-hmm. Like I have to, I need to eat. I need to have heat in my house. Um, I need to have time to get up and shower in the morning. Where the hell am I going to find time to do posting of 20 tweets and mm. or, you know, schedule? I mean, even finding a day to schedule stuff means that you're not then having a day off. So, yes, it is. It's really tough. But you know what? Like, if you go and talk to an entrepreneur who's trying to build a baby business and then sell it on, they're doing 10 times more than that. Mm. You know, if you really want a business to work, it is blood, sweat, and tears. It's the sacrifice of everything you have. And I have sacrificed a marriage, places I've lived, pets, furniture. Like there isn't anything really that I can think of that I haven't sacrificed along the way in order to keep doing my music. And I would never sacrifice a pet again because that was the most painful thing I've ever had to do in my life. And I still miss them. But other than that, I would give up everything that's in my room right now. Sitting in my lounge, there is not a single thing that I wouldn't give up to keep doing it. There isn't a single minute of my day that I wouldn't sacrifice to keep doing it. So really what it boils down to is, is it really your passion? Then you know. Yeah. Cause I feel like with uh, podcasting, I, I, before doing podcasting, I did when I was in college, I used to make music videos for bands, funnily enough, um, had a f- made a few of them for fun, which are enjoyable, but it's, it's a lot of hours to invest in those things. Um, and then I did, 
uh, we site before that I actually had a YouTube show with a friend of mine we just did it for a laugh and things when we were like 16 um, and then I went on to music videos and then I had like a dry spell of creativity um, because I'm not you know I can't sing I haven't committed to playing any instruments I can't draw I can do graphic design but I I worked in a CD and cassette production place uh, for four years um, after I left college and stuff. I did an apprenticeship there. So I learned more about graphic designing there and I learned about sound and stuff there because we were making CDs and cassette recordings and stuff. Um, so in, in those regards, they've kind of culminated. And when I consider doing podcasting, and I'm from just talking to you, I'm almost, I, I would bet money this is true for you. But do you have this feeling of just, while doing it, you get these weird... Uh, moments and it's like a feeling at the very kind of core of your being which it just feels like what you're doing is right i describe it as the pull you you feel this strange it's, it's indescribable you just feel like what you're doing is right it, you've just got it's just a feeling you're just like I, I feel like i'm on the right path i don't necessarily believe in destiny and things like that but is that is that how you would describe the feeling almost just that kind of that core pull of you you kind of feel it in your core you know it's something that you kind of not even want to do that it feels like you kind of need to to keep yourself unironically kind of keep yourself sane even though the amount of other things one sacrifices to to achieve those things if you know what i mean and i wouldn't say that that's like a hundred percent of the time it's just that there are occasions where decisions have to be made and it's you know it's a gut feeling isn't it whether Mm. it's of your belly or pulling at your heartstrings you're it's an absolute instinctual I have to go down that way mm-hmm. the other way there is you know you've got a decision in front of you and one of those choices is absolutely not going to be the one that you can take mm-hmm. you know so yes the pull if you want to call it that that's cool like yes 100% I totally get that there are occasions where it's just been there, there isn't another decision I can make. This absolutely has to be the decision. So yeah, sure. Yeah, because it's with with podcasting. A lot of people don't understand, and we're get we're getting to the end now, so I'll wrap up shortly. But it's it's one of those things I know with music. It's a lot of this. People don't understand how much time and money you have to invest into music videos just by themselves, as well as recording things. You know, going into the studio and spending hundreds of pounds per track a lot of the time, and if not more, and spending whole days if not weeks in the studio getting things right and all the stuff and people when they hear the three minute song or the you know uh 45 minute 30 minute album whichever release or even a podcast is an hour long they just think oh you just that took like an hour of your time to release that thing that's an hour and it's like not a fucking chance try timing that like music wise even more so but with podcasting i'd say for every hour that is released from the chat itself the organizing the research the editing all the stuff and posting on social media minimum five hours minimum so and that's just podcasting that's no that hasn't got the degree of um well attention to detail that one needs when releasing music but it's one of those things where it's it's not people have said to me before where like are they oh how do you have two podcasts how do you spend so many hours a week and it's it's one of those things it's it's not oh, how can I fit this in? It's, no, no, how do I fit everything else in is is the thing. This is what keeps me sane. This is, if if nothing else gets achieved in my life, uh, I, I'm in a very happy relationship and things. I've got loads of great friends, et cetera, you know, that sort of stuff. But like excluding, in air quotes, having the happy family sort of idea, aside from me having a family, there's not anything else that's, that gives me the satisfaction and the, the, the core, yeah, the core satisfaction of doing 
something that I just feel like I need to be doing some sort of output. And I can see with you is that you've definitely got that. And it's it comes across in your music. Your music is very honest. And that's one of the things that I gravitate towards. You know, you don't have that with a lot of mainstream in a you know mainstream or corporate music if one wants to call it that you know the stuff that the record labels smooth the edges off to such a degree you just don't you don't have what was there and i feel like your the music you're releasing is very honest and it is true and it is it's what needed in all honesty i think at the combination of genres the lyrics every part of it and the attitude that you show are all things that are incredibly important at this time so i, I want to thank you for that and i want to ask is there anything else before we sort of hang this up that you wanted to say to the masses essentially i mean yeah i get yeah um yes i mean thank you i I appreciate that you can hear that it's it's honest um i i never want to deviate from just speaking my mind in my lyrics and don't (laughs) thank you for those people who are listening, first and foremost, if you've if you've listened to the albums, thank you. If you've shared the album, thank you. If you've bought the album, thank you. Um, I've my band and I have continually in the last you know few days since the release been completely blown away by the response that we've had, by the reviews that we've had. Um, I don't think any of us could ever have imagined the beauty of response that we've had for the album. And we are all so incredibly grateful to those people who have um, engaged with it and continue to help us to spread the word for it. Um, If anybody is around London, then we are going to have a matinee show on the 12th of December at New Cross Inn. The 11th of December sold out. So we're doing a second show on the 12th of December. I believe tickets are £8. There's only 60 capacity because of COVID and it being a seated show. Uh, the two and four tables sell out really fast. So get in there if you, and there's two, four, and six tables. So if you don't have five mates, get in there quick. Um, <laughs> Everyone in the Midlands, then we're going to be playing the Angel Biker Pub in Colville on the 13th of December. And again, those tickets are selling out fast. So it would be lovely to see you at show. They're the only shows we're going to have for the rest of 2020. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, uh, I'm going to keep an eye on all of your tour dates and things. And then when you come closer to my neck of the woods, then it'd be great to see you live. And, well, you know, <laughs> you're dying. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> you're going to come back to Southampton. We really enjoyed the last few times that we've played there. Um, really lovely town. So we're definitely going to be coming to Southampton. Just don't know when at the moment because Rona. Of course, of the the little weird small thing that people may have heard of. You know, it's it's a pandemic. It's not it's not that world changing. It's just you know completely <laughs> fucking everything up. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, anyway, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you, Millie. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. And also, just thank you for releasing more excellent music out there. And I can't wait to see it live. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been really, really cool to chat to you. I hope you have a lovely week. And hopefully this won't be the last time I chat to you, Mike. It definitely won't be. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Millie. Thank you. Take care. Bye. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. As I said in the intro, and I think once or twice in the show, go check out Millie Amanda's new album. It is amazing. There are links to it in the show notes, and I loved it as soon as I listened to it. So make sure you check that out.
Anyway, so coming up over the next few weeks, I have got a two-parter recorded with my friend Scott Weatherly, who I've done collaborations with uh, through Comics in Motion. There's like a big Star Wars thing we did sort of early this year, late last year, and we're in like a big group chat together and stuff. I'm also going to be going on Scott's show with Megan in a few weeks' time as well. So it's all married up quite nicely. Um, but yeah, it's going to be Scott and I. I think we recorded the podcast probably about two two months ago now, maybe even three. Um, we were meant to talk about H.P. Lovecraft, and we didn't even say his name. <laughs> we... We ended up talking about sci-fi comic crossovers and special effects and loads of crazy things. It's like a two-hour, 15-minute conversation. So it's a nice, big, chunky one, and it's just us two nerding out, which is some of my favourite things to do. And then after that, I've got a podcast... I've actually, on the week of the 9th, I'm doing Scott's podcast and I'm also appearing on a live podcast, which is Robin Slim's live show. Uh, but they release theirs on a standard uh, podcast format in the normal players as well. So that's going to be really interesting to do. I'll make sure I share that and tell you guys about that as well when I'm in that. Uh, so that's going to be cool. Then I've got a podcast recording due on the 19th. Um, I've got one of the gentlemen from Superheroes for Dummies coming on the show um, with a guest, actually. Uh, so it's the first time Steve's going to be on this show and I'm actually having a different guest on because he's going to be my advisor for it. Uh, I'm not going to go into the detail about what that's going to be yet, but I'm very excited about that. Uh, then afterwards, I have got a podcast. I'm going to be on Comics on Trial on the 1st of December uh, because I'm basically going to be arguing why Rise of Skywalker is the worst of the sequel trilogy, Megan's going to be the judge, and Tony Farina is going to be the defendant. So that's going to be really interesting uh, sort of early time to that. So any of you guys who follow my other podcast, Star Wars Comics in Canon, on the feed of Comics in Motion, Comics on Trial goes on quite frequently there, and in the show notes I've got one Comics on Trial where I was with Scott, actually. It was um, it was Paul from Superheroes for Dummies, and then Scott was prosecuting and I was defending, and it was actually the Phantom Menace. So it was quite fun to do that as well, and it's very fun to be able to do the Comics on trial and do it the other way or I'm actually prosecuting Star Wars rather than always defending it which is the majority of my life is defending Star Wars for plot holes and god knows what else um, but that's really what you can expect me from me for the future I have got a podcast recording as well in December uh, the f it's actually going to be the 7th of December and I'm very very excited by it um, I can't say who it is because just in case things happen but it is one of the guests that I'm the most excited for that I've ever been for a show and they're an author and they're an author that is actually a New York Times bestseller and I own several of their books so very very excited about that um, I'll talk to you guys after I've recorded that uh, or actually I probably won't because I think I'm recording it on the Monday and then I think I'm releasing it that Sunday so first week of December you'll be able to hear that hopefully maybe it'll be the second week i don't know i'm starting to ramble that's probably a sign i should stop check my other podcast star wars comics and can i do lots of star wars -y things on there i had tony farina on to talk about dr afra i talk about the darth vader comics i did a count dooku biography episode where i just spoke about his life because you know he left the jedi order and in the films it's barely even really spoken about it's just kind of touched upon uh, i've done loads of episodes about a big variety of different things the one i recently did was actually the journals of old ben kenobi which is quite exciting so there's a comic series within the main run of star wars comics which is Kenobi's time on Tatooine between episodes three and four and obviously there's the Kenobi series coming out or at least filming next year and I wonder if that's going to use some of the material from there but if you can't wait for the Kenobi series and you want to know what Kenobi was getting up to on Tatooine while looking after Luke listen to my podcast I think it's only about half an hour or so long 
and it tackles three and a half comics because the last one is like a half story but yeah make sure you check that out it's found on the feed of comics in motion those episodes are out every saturday and obviously you can then listen here and genuine chit chat for new episodes every sunday so lots of weekend listening although my sunday release is normally out in the evening so maybe not so much but i hope everyone's staying safe especially considering the new government guidelines of lockdown stage two over here in the uk i say stage two there's been a billion tears phases and god knows what else but i really hope everyone's doing safely and if, if any of you are really struggling with the loneliness or anything at all seriously reach out to me on social media i am a busy individual but i'm not so busy that i can't respond to messages uh, talk to people or anything along those lines i just want to help in all honesty i understand that for some people especially living alone it can be really really difficult this time so even if it's just hey mike let's have a conversation or hey send me some of your podcasts or podcasts by other people you recommend or music or movies or series i mean i'm a massive fucking nerd and i like a lot of different things so unless it's car recommendations or sports recommendations i I can probably give you some degree of recommendations even if it's stupid youtube videos i know quite a few of those too um but i really hope you guys are all doing well make sure if you are feeling lonely or anything like that and you want someone to talk to please reach out to myself and i've got plenty of other good friends as well who'd love to help anyone else out i know how difficult it can be for these people but i really really just uh, appreciate anyone listening to the show especially in the current uh, climate and things i know that some people aren't listening to podcasts as much but you do you know not commuting and things or maybe even lost your job or anything like that i know how shit it can be at the moment so i i sympathize with that and i just hope that i can help in some way to get people through it anyway enough from me nattering on thanks again for listening i really really appreciate it love to each and every one of you and i'll talk to you next week <laughs>